1: Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we probe your vesicles with weird and wonderful science. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, Dr. René Gorham talks about nanoparticles and medicine. In the first of my series of interviews of speakers for the Frontiers of Science Forum, where I'll be hosting the audience question and answer session at the end of the evening. The Frontiers of Science Forum will be held at the Concord Golf Club on Friday 22nd of March. But first, here's the news. Astronauts explore analogue Mars. The AMA-D24 mission has more than 200 scientists from over 25 countries participating in a live simulation of a crewed landing on Mars in the Armash Desert region in Armenia, hosted by the Armenian Space Agency and managed by the private Austrian Space Forum. The mission will be directed by the dedicated Mission Support Centre in Austria. Analogue astronauts with spacesuit simulators will conduct experiments preparing for future human and robotic missions on the real Mars. Using mapping and geology robots from the University of Wurzburg in Germany and from the Laboratory for Robotics and Engineering Systems in Portugal, who provide a project called Towards a More Effective Remote Operation of Planetary Ground Robots Using Multimodal Interfaces. The six person team of analogue astronauts will spend four weeks testing equipment and procedures designed to detect traces of life and carry out tests in the natural sciences, engineering, biomedicine, and psychology. They will only leave their specially designed habitat wearing the spacesuit prototype. There will be a 10-minute time delay built into the communication between the test site and the Mission Support Centre in Vienna to simulate the time it takes for a radio signal to travel between the Earth and Mars. The Austrian Space Forum has 250 enthusiastic members from over 20 nations, since 1998, and now they're going to Analog Mars. Rene Gorham is a senior lecturer at the School of Information and Physical Science at the University of Newcastle. I began the interview over Zoom by asking... So basically you're doing research into nanoparticles and you're focusing on applications in medicine for diagnostics and for treatment.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've sort of got two different areas of my research. I quite like them because it does span across different sciences. But yeah, the main one is looking at nanomaterials, specifically nature's own nanoparticles, which we call extracellular vesicles, but using these as a diagnostic tool. So determining whether they come from a cancerous cell or a cancerous tumour and then helping us to detect cancer as one of the applications, yeah. Right. Mm. And
1: so how would you describe nanoparticles for the general audience?
0: Yeah, it's quite good. I like to describe these. I was doing it to 12-year-old students the other day. And <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the way that I would describe a nanoparticle is if you imagine your hair, you can't really, You can just see the hair. It's a micron size, so it's still quite large. If you chop up that hair another, you know, one million times, then you'll get to the size of a nanoparticle or something that I would synthesize, the size, for example, like a, a gold nanoparticle. So they're really, really small, and they're so small we can't see them with our eyes or with a light microscope. But because they're so small, they have these interesting properties and that's where I guess my drawn nature towards them has grown from is the fact that they don't really they're not what you expect, yeah. <laughs> in what you would see every day.
1: So what sort of useful properties have you been able to apply?
0: Yeah, um the one my favourites <laughs> they're called quantum dots. So, as as the name suggests, the physical properties are due to the quantum nature of them and that's due to their nano size. So, we can change their size from just being 5 nanometers to 6 so that one nanometer in change will change the color that they fluoresce. So each of these will fluoresce or be like a glow stick that we can then use. So, and just by simply changing the size. So they're already been used in QLED TVs. And so the application I use them in is I put something that targets something that's cancerous as another mode to look at cancer diagnosis.
1: And how did you come into using nanoparticles and nanotechnology?
0: I think that would be coming going back to the start of my career. So I did a bachelor of science And then I went into nanomaterials in my honors year, but I was using a nano-sized film. And then once I started doing my PhD, I started synthesizing gold nanoparticles. And that's another one where it has interesting properties. You think of a gold nanoparticle and you instantly think of jewelry, but when you actually see them in solution, they almost look like something you can drink, a nice red wine. Or some cordial, and that's again due to their nano-sized nature. So I was able to synthesise all... I was making these gold nanoparticles all throughout my PhD, and I was growing cells on to look at how the cells would grow on them, like whether they would like that nano-sized regime or not. So, yeah, ever since then, I think I've just been drawn to to the small natural... <laughs> just small things, natural nanoparticles in general, so
1: yeah and so you've been putting together the biological and the physical from an early part of your career as well
0: yeah I don't have much background in biology but I I definitely know more than the average person now and that's just through experience (laughs) but I have a lot of really great collaborators and I guess that's one of the reasons I like this area because I'm not just stuck in my little physics box I have I talk to people uh, all the time in chemistry and in biology, and we've created a nice little, little diverse group of collaborators.
1: Fantastic. So it's such a an interesting area. I, mean, I know that there's been research with gold nanoparticles for a, a long time and potential medical applications. Are there any in use at the moment in hospitals?
0: Yeah, I think there is. I haven't used gold nanoparticles for a while, but I believe their heating ability is used for to kill tumor cells so you can heat them with a laser and uh, it will kill them but also you can make them quite biocompatible meaning they don't harm you when you get them in your body and they come out of your body really easily so there's no harmful effects when you get introduced them so I, I don't know if there is but there's been a lot of research in the past on drug delivery of gold nanoparticles and other nanoparticles as well. Even silver nanoparticles have been made and they've got huge antimicrobial ability. So they've been used in filtration devices and even bandages for wounds to prevent any infection from bacteria.
2: So
1: how would you apply some of these nanoparticle properties to things like diagnosis?
0: That's where... I've changed from making my own. I still make my own, well, I say me, my research group still makes our own nanoparticles. We are always making quantum dots. But then I found out, I think this is just after I completed my PhD, that our body actually makes our own nanoparticles. And they're really quite stable, these little vesicles, nano sized, about 50 nanos, nanometers, so different to my quantum dots, which are fired. But they're actually found in your blood, in your urine. And they're like a little mini-me of the cells. So the cell they came from, this nanoparticle, and it will tell you what sort of state it is in. And so that's where I was like, ah, I like nanomaterials. <laughs> Let's have a look at these nano-sized objects that we have in our own body. And then it was research that found them in breath. So if people are doing all this research to use these naturally occurring nanoparticles for diagnosis, why can't we then use the ones that we've found in our breath? As a diagnostic tool and i guess that's where i've gone for a really blue sky research where i'm now looking at a disease breathalyzer just by simply breathing yeah
1: so we're breathing out these little vesicles all the time
0: yeah yeah and i guess you know you don't really know they're they're so small anyway so you wouldn't know but it was one of my master's students who who read this paper and there's specific proteins that are present that indicate that you might have these vesicles there. And the the proteins down in breath had these matching proteins. So we were like, okay, let's see if we can get some images using an electron microscope and, and there they were. So it's just been five or six years of research in that area now.
1: And what sort of diseases do you think you'll be able to diagnose?
0: Well, that's a really good question. I don't think there's a limit at this point. So we've started with lung cancer just because that would be the most obvious one, but we want to do a lot of extensive work on the fundamental, like where these EVs are coming from, these naturally occurring nanoparticles, where they're coming from in your breath. Are they just coming from your mouth or are they coming from your lungs? So we're not too sure, but I'd like to think that it wouldn't just be for cancer, but maybe there's an opportunity there for asthma diagnosis, even stress because stress markers have been found in breath. So yeah, we're really looking at the different avenues. And then more recently, you know, because of the pandemic, we've gone, okay, what about viral infections? So yeah, just, I think the applications here could be quite a number of them.
1: There are so many aerosol spread (laughs) diseases that must be, most of the, the, the ones we would be worried about, an awful lot of them, would be from the breath.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think so if we can tune in and find out what exactly is in there, because it's quite a complex mixture. You have these volatiles that just sort of evaporate off, but then you've got the liquid phase of your breath that has all this other messy content. And it's trying to decipher all that messy content to then be like, okay, can this indicate whether this person has a particular disease or respiratory Concerning them so that's where we're really trying to i'm trying to bring in my biologist friends to be like okay so what can how can we find out where these come from and what we can detect from them
1: you're listening to ian Wolf on diffusion science radio send emails to science at diffusionradio.com we're brought to you across australia on the community radio network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com so if they're too small to see, how do you measure them?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting question. This is what I love about it because you have to prove they're there, right? I can tell you that there's nanoparticles in breath. And I've said already that you can't view them with a light microscope. The the light's not going to see them. So what we tend to do, or what I like to do, is use two different methods electron microscopy so we get a beam of electrons and you can either bounce the beam of electrons off top of the surface or you can shine the electron beam in enough energy that it will go straight through the surface and so then it can image whatever is there so if it has electrons or some sort of atoms there it will have some sort of contrast so that's the main way and that's how I've imaged them regularly but because I'm, I am like physical characteristics I also use this where we we use atomic force microscopy, which has a nano-sized tip and it can raster across the surface and it just matches the height, basically, is the easiest way. And so we can image that at a nano-scale just by looking with a nano-sized object to match the the size that you're trying to image itself. So they're the two physical ways that we can image them or try and visualise them and they are, as you expect, quite spherical, just like a little ball. Or we can just look at the bulk solution and see if we can count them using light scattering techniques, which just shines light at it. And then we look at how the light scatters off the off the particle. And that can actually tell us what sort of size we've got and how many there are. So hmm.
1: these little vesicles, do we know why the cells are putting them out?
0: Yeah, well, originally when they were discovered, I think this was in the 80s, maybe 70s, it's been a while since I've gone back that far, they were just thought to be trash. So that's what the biologists thought. Um, They were just expelling all the unwanted content. It wasn't until the 90s that they found out that they have actually have a strong communication role. So the cells release them to get to another cell and they have some strong communication. So they've actually got a lot of different roles and they're involved in all sorts of cancer in itself. So this thing called mesoclinal to epithelial transition. So it's where a cell turns from like a skin hard cell to like a soft cell that can go through the bloodstream, part of cancer. So yeah, it was all these different roles that people started to find. And then you've also got the content. So what is in the package is quite useful too. So they've got some little small DNA strands, some RNA, all different proteins. I'm mainly focused on what proteins they have because they can essentially be quite unique to the cell they came from. And so if we can find one that's specific to cancer, for example, we can target that protein and that's what we can use to capture them.
1: Well, I had no idea they still had strands of DNA and RNA and things inside them.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's just every few years, there's just more and more information on them. And I like to go to the conferences where we just talk about these naturally occurring nanoparticles and going. Wow, I did not know that they're involved in fertility as well. <laughs> so, yeah, the wow. range of roles they have. Mm.
1: Do you want to talk about the fertility?
0: There is a research group here that looks at their role in fertility. So, but the content of the EVs changes depending on the health status of male. Yeah, so the semen EVs will change depending on if someone is healthy or not. I don't know about women, though. <laughs> I'm sure there's a role there, <laughs> There too, must be something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they seem to be involved everywhere.
1: And you've talked about the vesicles as being EV. What does the E part stand for?
0: Oh, yeah, I always do that. So we call them extracellular vesicles. and actually my physics colleagues constantly get confused thinking i'm talking about an ev car <laughs> so we call them vesicles or evs for sure.
1: <laughs> how long do you think these vesicles stay in the air do you think they could be detected after a couple of hours in the air
0: yeah we are definitely looking into this we want to look at the stability but i do know that they are quite stable i did some research with a colleague who was looking at the extracellular vesicles or evs in breast milk again another application therein. and when we looked into the research they found that those particles in the milk actually lasted all the way to the intestines of babies they were that stable that they could be consumed and go all the way to the intestines before they were actually taken up in for the nutrients mm. so there is a huge amount of research in their drug delivery capacity because they are so stable i mean the cell's Make them so they are stable enough to transport this information or whatever they want to do across the other side of the body or whatever it does. We'll yes. <laughs> try to find out. But yeah, all we know is that they're extremely stable and they're not going to be broken down easily. That's one thing that our group has got to look at is you have these EVs in an aerosol form or whatever, how long do they last?
1: I was just thinking with the COVID applications whether you could either. Have a little sensor, you know, somewhere near your face that constantly monitors whether you've got it or not or whether you'd have sensors in buildings that told you it was somewhere around, if that was
0: possible. We had a very similar conversation with collaborators going, how do we visualise this technology if it was to work? And we could imagine that just being incorporated into air conditioners in airports, for example, airplanes. And that way you could just not only find out if someone's got COVID, but you could monitor it in real time. Obviously in the very blue sky, but that's what we do.
1: <laughs> well, it looks like that's one of the, the many, many possibilities for this sort of technology.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: And you're talking about the vesicles in the milk containing nutrients. So are we talking nanonutrients as well as micronutrients now?
0: Yeah, I probably exaggerated a bit there, ah. but I'm sure there would be some form of use that they would think (laughs) so yeah maybe um, that's to be determined
1: (laughs) more research needed
0: yeah more research needed Uh, it is an area that is growing which is good Uh, but yeah it's definitely even in cow's milk they're looking at the extracellular vesicles it seems like any any living cell will form these naturally occurring nanoparticles applications are endless
1: if Students wanted to get into this medical nanoparticle world that you're researching. You started life as a physicist rather than a medical researcher. So what should students do?
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I'm still still in the physics discipline. So, yeah, I'm sort of an outlier here, but I still have a lot of basis. Um, I guess, yeah, I, I like to look at them as physical entities and even, you know, how soft or hard they are. But if you wanted to get into EVs specifically, it might be useful to start off with some sort of science degree where you have maybe some biology and physics, which isn't always – they don't always get drawn together, do they? So, (laughs) yeah, you get a lot of chemistry and physics majors, but maybe not that combination. But biophysics is still quite a new area. So I would suggest maybe going into that area and getting the knowledge of how – We can use maths and physics to simplify these entities, but then also the application and the mechanisms that are involved in the body. So having that combination, I think, would work. I mean, there is the area of bacteria. I mentioned that all these cells, uh, every living cell almost that we've found releases these nanoparticles and even bacteria ones. So that's another aspect of our research we are applying a similar technology but then going oh, okay why can't we use this to detect e coli for example mm. so yeah um and the rationale for that is well nano nano sized objects are actually quite easy to capture and if you imagine every e coli expelling many of these extra um, these nanoparticles then they would be easier to capture in a higher quantity so yeah that's the other aspect that we're looking at water quality
1: wow that's yeah, water quality, and I guess um, maybe even inside the body.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think we you know we're just starting simple and going with water first, or even surfaces. So mm. I mean, there's a lot of you need for better uh, pathogen detection for food, as well as uh, you know uh, hospitals and surfaces where you don't want any pathogens growing freely. So. I guess if anyone is interested in extracellular vesicles, but with the more physical application, you know, I'm always open to having discussions. If anyone knows academics well, they know that we like to talk about our research. So you can always find my email and contact me more about any information that you've heard. There's always more to tell to the story.
1: And you'll be giving a talk at the Frontiers of Science Forum in March.
0: Yes, I am. Yeah, um, my calendar's already filling up quite quick this year. So I'm looking forward to having a bit of a, a different audience where it's quite broad, where there's politicians, students, industry, and then um, some of my science colleagues. So I'm looking forward to that.
1: You're very involved in science outreach, and I believe you recently won an award.
0: Yes, yeah. So I... I didn't really know about where science could take me as I was growing up. I've come from a big family, first in my family to go to university for coming from a small town. So a small town now studying small things, which I always find funny. Um, But yeah, so I've always wanted to sort of give back and to show people who might be interested but don't know the pathways where science could take you uh, because I had no idea. So yes, I've dedicated a lot of my time to doing outreach activities, even through COVID. I did some online sessions with local schools, mainly the ones that my kids attend, but then other schools were interested as well. And we did like online science shows with the family, which was quite successful and so much fun. So yeah, it was really nice to be acknowledged for the, the work that we've been doing outside of my research and all the other activities we do here at universities um where you know just the love of dissemination of physics and science was shown
1: and you've been doing a few appearances so in addition to zoom for your, your the different schools during lockdown you're also doing various other public talks and interviews around the place you're on yes, the science a- show i believe
0: yes yeah that's right so, yeah, have been doing a few different appearances. Um, I, I even did a section on Cosmos magazine. Um, oh, awesome. Interview. Yeah, but just any way that I can get the, the love of science out there is um, what I like to do. So, yeah, but even going to schools, there's a lot of activities we do at uh, Newcastle Uni or the University of Newcastle where uh, we try and you know, get more students involved, uh, especially in the rural areas, because that's you know, where I'm from, so that's where I like to target. But yeah, trying to take nice activities that they wouldn't be exposed to when taking it to them, because we, we know how hard it is for rural schools to be able to make that. But then we've also got Experiment Fest, where schools come here and they exper- uh, experiment uh, with physics, uh, different um, technologies that they wouldn't have access to. Uh, at that school. So
1: what sort of technologies do you let them play with?
0: Oh, there's all sorts. um, One of my favourites is optical tweezers. Ooh. So we can get get the students to actually capture a particle, a a microsized particle, uh, just using light. So they they love it because you can actually see the particle drift into the red laser and get stuck, and then you can move it around the screen just by, you know, using some optical tweezers like a little tractor beam. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then also the atomic force microscopy. So the the thing that we use to image nano-sized objects, they have an opportunity. I even had a work experience student come in for a week and spend time in the research lab and learn how to use uh, a very high-tech piece of equipment within a few hours. So I think she really enjoyed it.
1: Fantastic. Mm. That's such a good effort. That's really interesting. And I think science outreach is, is almost as important as the scientific research. That's really good.
0: I completely agree.
1: Well, Renee, thank you very much.
0: No worries. Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure to talk to you in.
1: That was Renee Gorham, Senior Lecturer at the University of Newcastle. Renee won the Australian Institute of Physics 2023 Community Outreached Physics Award. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including two MVR in Nambucca Valley, three MBR in the Mallee border districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio Seven LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, four Triple D in Dalby in the Darling Downs in Queensland. 4RPH in Brisbane, 6GME Goulari in Broome, Western Australia, Lofty FM in the Adelaide Hills of South Australia, and Two 2XFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in North East Victoria. And Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website www.diffusionradio.com That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed this show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Join my patrons at patreon.com diffusion radio make a donation through paypal.me slash support diffusion by buying from our etsy merch store diffusion science i'm ian wolf join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on diffusion science
2: radio science is fun it helps you to learn to know and to appreciate